Now I am here with Craig Hetrick. He is the founder of the Hetrick Group. He's a man that, uh, he's a friend of mine. How are you doing, Craig? I'm doing great, Mark. Glad to be here. I was going to get into what your background is, but I mean, over this last few years, you and I have become friends. We've, mm -hmm. uh, we're both in the same business, helping entrepreneurs to be entrepreneurs is the way I frame our you know, Haney Biz efforts, but I mean, you are helping a lot of my buddies as well. You're you're helping people grow businesses and develop plans uh, around, you know, how to grow their business. Oh, right, Mark. So uh, essentially, I consider myself a business architect and try to separate myself out. Not a business coach, playing my own pond, okay. so to speak. And uh, I help uh, CEOs and business owners design and build great companies. They learn the best practice disciplines of great organizations. And they have tools and processes that help them strengthen all areas of their business so they continue to grow and not hit some pockets of rough air. Okay, well, we all know that there are some, uh, some pockets of rough air, big-time obstacles, and all CEOs are different. So mm -hmm. I want to I dive deep into that so we can give a little bit of uh, education for our listenership, for our audience. But I think we should start with your background, right? You were the former CEO of Java City. You've been in executive leadership in uh, on the corporate side. And now you are you're helping other people to, to become that. So right. give us a sense of a little bit more of your background. Sure. I'm a northern Illinois farm boy uh, from okay. way back who scratched and clawed his way to be president and CEO of uh, three different food companies. So I have 32 years in the food industry Started with some big companies like General Mills and Nestle. I worked my way up the managerial ladder there. Then I went to some more middle market companies like American Seafoods International, Eskimo Pie. I became president of both of those companies. Hmm. Then we sold Eskimo Pie. I did ice not cream. know that. That yeah. I love Eskimo Pies. Well, <laughs> I haven't had them lately, cream. but yeah. Okay. And I like. And then go ahead, finish up. <laughs> so uh, we sold Eskimo Pie to Nestle Dryers back in the mid 2000s, and so. Moved the family out to the West Coast, actually to the Bay Area, and worked for Nestle Dryer's Ice Cream as the head of the food service company there for five years. And then in 2012, I came up here to be CEO of Java City, did that for four years. But really, during that time, I had this itch you know, for about 20 years to really to, to be uh, helping leaders and businesses reach their full potential, to leverage my background to help entrepreneurs really grow and scale their business. So... 2016, I believe it was right at the beginning of 2016, I launched a Hetrick Group. Yeah, so in launching that, I mean, you probably began to face some of the same things. <laughs> starting from scratch is not easy, so you're starting this thing from scratch. Any uh, big-time headaches arise? Oh, it's amazing. From, from being in the corporate world, and, and I, I think I said this to you before, Mark, is that the corporate world uh, inadvertently teaches you to be cautious, because uh, you're kind of looking out for that next roll up, next step up. So it's not it's an overgeneralization, but you're, you're not like the entrepreneurs, ready, fire, aim, go, yeah. that you see in entrepreneurs. And so uh, for me to not know anybody in Sacramento, even though I was CEO of Java City, I traveled mostly the world and the country, really not connecting to the city. I had to step out there like an entrepreneur and start to build relationships, start to add value, and then get people connecting me to the right people that I could really help. 
interesting because, uh, you know, I had some of that same sort of thing happen with me. My business was located here in, uh, in Rockland. We sold security products, security cameras for the most part all over the country. I had my friends from like Little League mm-hmm. and all that, the, the longtime friends, but like 1% of our business was here in Sacramento. So really, I was, I was doing business around the country. And so now when I st- decided to sort of do what you're doing a little bit, you know, helping entrepreneurs... I'm, I'm developing a whole new set of relationships as well. Mm-hmm. So we're sort of running uh, hand in hand and uh, arm in arm along these, uh, these last several years. So let's talk, though, let's dive deep into, uh, into this. One of the, you've helped uh, our company here. Mm-hmm. Um, you've also helped a number of our friends um, to grow their business, to get them. I mean, a lot of times we go through growing pains, right? So there's these, mm-hmm. these things, that, these milestones that we reach. At what point are they ready for Craig Hetrick? I mean, do you help startups? Or is this companies that are a little more mature? Well, I help companies from a million all the way to like 200 million. Okay. But the real sweet spot, the one I think that could really use my assistance most, are those companies that are sub 10 million. Mm-hmm. And and I really love it because they're they're entrepreneurs that uh, had the audacity to start their own business. They did well. They built a multi-million dollar company, and then they realize certain parts of their business either aren't built out or there's some weakness in there. And what I love about entrepreneurs, they're they're not afraid to reach out, and mm-hmm. they, they know what they don't know, and they they reach out for help. And that's when I can can come in and assess where they're at and what do we need to work on and what do we need to strengthen. I would. I have to imagine that reaching out. It, it's kind of there's like a. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. There's this point where the entrepreneur sort of has to admit. You know, they've had some success. If they're at a million or five million, ten mm-hmm. million plus, you've had a little bit of success. You, in in your own way, you're kind of a badass. In, in you know, in your little world, because you're you you've made it over the hump to a certain extent, and now you have to admit, you know what? I don't know everything, and um, you're, there's growing pains and so on. So it it seems like a humbling moment when you go, you know, what? I got to reach out because I don't have all the answers, and then yeah. that's when they call you. Sure. Uh, and so walk me through this, if you will. It's like yeah. what is what kind of things do you hear at the beginning when they and, and the first call? Are they embarrassed? Are, are we embarrassed? Well, I think sometimes they're just confused where they're having weak areas. So I have this assessment called Making the Grade, and it what it does is it compares your company versus the 15 best practice disciplines of great organizations. And I walk through side by side with them. And when they about fall off their chair, <laughs> thinking, boy, I'm really a lousy company. Mm-hmm. It just really uh, showcases what a difference there is between very good and great companies. Okay. So it's great companies do all the little things exceptionally well all the time, very disciplined, very focused. And sometimes very good and good companies aren't. You know, they do certain things really well and others are not doing it all or they're not doing to the level they should be. Well, are there things like, uh, 15 things sounds like a lot of things. Like yeah. if we were breaking it down though, I mean, where sure. do we start? A lot of people say, hey, you have to have a business plan. You need, And that, that begins with the vision of where you want to take the company and then the kind of the, the mission of how you're going to get there. I mean, that's how I think of it, but I mean... Walk us through the uh, the Hetrick way. It, it's it's all of the above, really. Okay. And I take it, and that's what this 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 assessment does. It takes a look at where are you? Do you have a strong vision? Great, but you don't really have a differentiated strategy. So I look at everything. Look, do we have a, a compelling vision for the future? One that we would get uh, people excited about and and really engaging, compelling. Do we have a core purpose? Do we have defined core values. Are we living up to them today? And do we have a differentiated strategy? Okay. That's the part where I see most business owners really don't have a strong differentiation. And, well, walk and we work through that because if you don't have something differentiated, I mean, well, I'm obviously um, 
it, your company has less value in many ways be, in, because it's you know it's not different pricing, so yeah, yeah it's a, if it's a commodity you, you don't have the margin but i mean what what do you do when you see somebody who has a strategy and they think it's different but you come in and go well i don't see anything You're that's special here there there's a lot of incremental differences but okay. not big difference i'm talking about how do we change the game change the rules of the game how do we compete where no one else is competing type thing so okay. and it's really a process to get there it's it's a process uh, where we take a look at the 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 changing landscape of the future out there, uh, trends that are happening now, and, and kind of the iteration of those trends, changes in technology, yeah. forecasted changes, and, and what are the implications for your category, and what are the opportunities uh, that, that arise from that? What are the choke points in the future going to be, and how do we turn those choke points into opportunities and start working on that now, and, and that can set us apart, make us a little different than the competitors out so, there. So give me an example. I don't know if you can give your clients names, but just give me sort of an example of what that might look like. You come in and somebody thinks that they have something that's uh, differentiated and you can forecast, you can look into the future, um, maybe together with the leadership team and understand where that choke point's coming. What does that look like? Yeah, so uh, in being in like a commodity-style business, delivery business, I can't say the business. Yeah. Say distribution of somebody yeah, else's distribution product. And, and they were looking at uh, we looked at further out what were the trends and it, it happened to be a threat was that well geez in my industry they could now weigh whatever it is we're servicing right mm -hmm. we're on an every week service so we could really lose out on revenue because if it, if it, technology can weigh whatever it is we're servicing then we might be able to charge less but we said, no, well, maybe that's an opportunity. We'll be an early adopter of this technology. We'll right-size our customers, be the good guys, and go after our competitors as the first mover using this technology and, and build relationships that way. How do you know if you're strong enough to invest into a new technology? A lot of these guys just over the hump, and so it's easy to say, especially in a larger company, hey, we've been setting aside uh, money to, uh, to upgrade or for R&D for technology. And then there's a lot of other people that really don't have the strength of a balance sheet to, to invest a lot into a technology shift. It doesn't have to be technology. It could be the way that you're delivering your service okay. differently, right? Uh, it could be, and I had a, uh, uh, a sign company that, that we all know, and one of the choke points was, geez, you know, I, I signed companies, you know, the commercial trucks during the week, and that's a choke point. Nobody wants to take their commercial trucks off of a duty mm -hmm. making revenue during the week, but maybe we could do it on the weekends. That's different. Yeah. It's addressing that choke point. And, and we can, you know, strengthen those differentiators. So that didn't require technology. It required a different way of executing the service. And you are a generalist. Obviously, you know the food service business, but you're helping people in, in trucking, in mm -hmm. distribution, in, in a variety of, of areas. And you're not an expert in every area. Nobody can no. be an expert in every industry. So do you bring in other industry experts, or do you get the management team talking to one another? Is typically yeah. the information there in the yes, leadership team. It is. It's, it's really about getting the leadership team to function at a higher level okay. and, and pulling the ideas out of their head and, of course, what they see in the industry and trends in their industry, too. And we don't really need those experts. It's really about me getting the leadership team to, to strengthen and to come up with those ideas. And what's the role of the CEO in this process? Yeah, and so here's where it changes a bit. So typically the CEO of a small business, $5 million business, is looked to for all the ideas and to make the decisions. And I try to pull the CEO back. Hmm. It says strong leaders are letting their team 
get their ideas out there, right? And you're there to facilitate and foster that idea generation because what it does is it, it, it then it just builds your team around you so then you don't have to have this business rely only on your thinking. You're building strength in your leadership team. And by the way, by building strength in the leadership team, you're building the value of your company. You're making it more productive, and of course, you're you're going to drive revenue and profits with that. Does do you ever have to like gag the or uh, you know put duct tape over the mouth of the CEO because he or she is not used to letting go like that? Well, so so I, I have this agreement beforehand, right? And, and one of the tenets is that here's what a best practice is to to make this operating system flow nicely in your company and effective is for you to pull back. Mm-hmm. And can you do that, right? And when they don't, I catch them doing that, right? Because we yeah. agreed to doing that. So they that. agree at the And the, the leadership onset. team catches them too. Okay. And they say, hey, we're all leaders here. You need to catch the CEO business owner when they're kind of trying to impose their will and, and push them back a little bit. Right, because right? they've got position power. They sit in a meeting like that, and they can, um, we, I'm the CEO of our company, we can have a tendency to sort of bully. When we say something, we say it in an authoritative way and almost like it's gospel, right? But right. it's just an opinion. It's just one of the, you know, so one of the people around speak the table. Last, okay. Or oh, okay. when you're speaking, ask a question to facilitate that. And then when you do give an opinion later on, say, "Hey, uh, this is a very important issue we're talking about here, and this is what I'm thinking." But I know it's very important. But I'm really interested to hear what everyone else thinks. That's why you're not qua- then you're not quashing ideas from everyone else around a room, you're making them open. The idea is to get the best thinking on the table and not to have anyone clamming up on any issue at all. So then you, you've got that participation at a high level. You say speak last. Is this just, just during the process? Or are you saying, look, leaders, the CEOs should speak last more often, or, or is that always? Usually, right? Okay. And, and I think that uh, they can participate in the idea generation but I love to see them participate in by way of asking questions to get thinking out of their team. And then they can speak more toward the end. Here's what I hear you saying. You can kind of get them to recap it, right? I really agree with this. And, and this is what I'm thinking now. I'd like to hear your opinion. So the idea, it, it's really all about interpersonal skills as a CEO. So I teach that so they can get more out of their people. And again, it's not just about them. It's what building about the team. What about the CEO whose right-hand people are, they're in the leadership roles, but they're a little bit more passive in nature. Maybe they're quieter in nature, and they're not used to um, articulating their point of view with authority. And so you basically, you have, you know, three, four, five ten, more timid people, or maybe you've got the grouchy guy who doesn't never, <laughs> ever open his mouth anyway, sitting there, and the CEO is sitting here going, I've got to drive my point home because the rest of these guys are not, it's not happening. Yeah, so I think if you can make it uh, such where it's safe for your team to uh, give their opinions, so you're not like what I call react and judge management. So here's an opinion, I'm reacting and judging it and and dismissing it out of hand. Mm -hmm. That doesn't uh, build engagement of the team. So you're making it safe and encouraging for the team to give their feedback. Uh, And they don't give feedback, then maybe that person isn't the right person on a leadership Mm -hmm. team at the end of the day. But if you're creating an environment where it's, it's safe for them to give their opinions, they're not shot down immediately, they're heard, then, I, then you, you, should be, um, you should be 
feel good about the feedback you're getting and, and you'll be you know, moving on from there as a stronger team. One of the things I, I see with CEOs is, you know, they won't admit it typically because it's embarrassing, but there's fear, especially when we're talking about addressing tough issues like you mentioned maybe there's somebody who shouldn't be on the leadership team. They've been on the leadership team for a long time. They've always been here. Um, they're very valuable. They have institutional knowledge. But look, they're not uh, they're not contributing in the way that's going to help the company. Right. They really need to be removed from the leadership team, possibly even re removed from the mm -hmm. organization at some level or put on a special project, if you will. Um, but we don't want to address that because they're our old buddy that helped us get the thing going or so on. A big issue. Yeah, so the way we address that is a process I call the accountability chart. So you're, you're putting up the, the functions of the organization in the key roles in those functions. Yeah. And then we're putting people in those functions. And we're looking at, as a team, do we have the right stuff, yeah. uh, the skill sets for those priority roles in, in that function? And if they don't, then we're being humane about it and say, hey, your top tier skill is this. And here's what we need for those five roles. There's a gap there. And maybe we can train you, maybe not. Or maybe you're better suited over here in this role. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes it's not even, you know, in that company. And so we try to find that, you know, person, their role where they're best suited in another company. You know, that's interesting because I, I see this a lot. Usually, you know, so there's a lot more companies under a million dollars in mm -hmm. sales than there are companies a million to 10. Those are the uh, the people that have sort of are over the hump and there's less. But the, the problems exist in the smaller companies as well mm -hmm. where they don't really have the leadership team set up and... The, even the companies at $5 million, they don't have the money to go out and, and get the high-priced free agent with all the experience, especially in this economy. Um, it's hard to go get the right person for the leadership team. Sure. You're, you're grabbing them. They're, they're already getting paid good money. <laughs> How often do you look at this and go, look, you have a gap in your skill set. You, the CEO, you don't have it. Your management team mm -hmm. doesn't have it. We have to bring somebody in, and maybe there's some equity that you need to give up. Maybe there's a partnership exactly. of some some sort. Uh, maybe there's even some some pr stuff that needs to get outsourced. I mean, do yeah, you run so, into that? Yeah, I run into that. First of all, a comment I'll make, too, on a one, two, three million dollar company. They don't have managers in a company, but typically we will elevate some individual contributors that okay. we think can can really contribute to strategy and, and helping the company differentiate and grow. And they grow like crazy as individuals, and then they become managers, but immediately takes the pressure off that, that CEO business owner. So two, if they don't have the skills that they need, for instance, they're a CFO for hires, if they hire rather if they need you know, some strong financial management. Uh, typically, I see that the uh, CEO business owner is a visionary, but not necessarily an integrator that can run the day-to-day -day business. If they had their druthers, they'd just be thinking of big-picture ideas, strategic relationships, calling on customers. They don't want to run a day-to-day -day business. So sometimes we can either bring in somebody for hire that way, or we can elevate somebody that can start and take some of the integrator load off and can really work their way into that role. What about the visionary that doesn't have, that has a vision, but it's uh, he, has, he or she has trouble making it clear to the rest of his team. Is there a way, do you help sort of refine that? Oh yeah, and, and as part of the process, part of the tools that we have, we'll, we'll make it very clear. And so what the nice thing is, it's not just his vision, it's a shared vision with the team. I, I always strongly believe that 
that don't just do this on your own. You know, bring your team mm-hmm. in and help them create the shared vision of mm-hmm. the future. What so that's just me thinking it's three or four or five people. You and I were on a panel not too long ago, and I ended up, ended up, my team ended up posting a clip of something I said, and it got a couple of likes or shares or whatever, and I, I was re-watching it, and I was reminded of myself as a CEO um, and I've seen this many times with other people, so I don't feel like I'm alone, but there's times when we aren't, it's a fear thing. We aren't as confident in our ability to, um, articulate the message, um, share the vision in a way that will get everybody on board and running through a brick wall for the good of the organization. We, we sometimes as leaders are a little bit timid and we want to share the vision through our, through our teammates and expect them to sort of carry the message. But isn't it true that the CEO needs to talk to, if, if you've got 100 employees, the CEO needs to communicate directly to the entry-level employee mm-hmm. just like he or she needs to communicate to somebody in management. No, I, I totally agree with that. Again, it takes strong interpersonal skills and, and the way you vary your message all the way down to the, the individual contributor working to shop for. Um, so that is very critical to be able to not just speak at a high level to get, to get everyone engaged. I think the more people are engaged in it and the more you can make it, especially on a personal uh, mm-hmm. Be vulnerable and come speak from the heart about where that vision comes from that really connects. And especially when you're speaking from the heart where the vision comes from, use it including everybody in the organization. This is the opportunity for everybody here, mm-hmm. right? Here's where we're going. And usually by the end of that meeting, if you have a really compelling, big, hairy, audacious goal that we're ready to walk through walls for, you're going to get people really excited about it. Well, people always get caught up working in their business, right? They're working day-to-day, hammered out, talking to customers, talking to their teammates about, you know, the things that are happening on a daily basis. But there are these times, there's a certain amount of time that we need to step back and, and I guess, do what you're talking about and Mm -hmm. creating these plans and, you know, having the values and the visions uh, agreed upon and so on. Um, But how much time, I mean... How much time should be spent working uh, on the business versus in the business? And Because for most of us, we're spending too much time in the business, and we have to pry some time away mm-hmm. to work on the business. But how do you – what kind of allocation should that be? There's no real try and true formula. So uh, every week at least when you have a weekly meeting where you're recalibrating everyone's efforts and looking at your quarterly rocks or goals and mm-hmm. looking at your scorecard metrics and – you're, how are we doing? And you're discussing the you know, most impactful and urgent things going on in your business. And, and strategically, what do we need to be working on now that moves the business ahead? And how do we solve the issues that are getting away of us really achieving the, the goals and initiatives and KPIs that are going to keep us on track to hit our, our BHAG and our vision mm-hmm. and our three-year plan and all those things? So it's a little bit each week. Um, it's a little bit Every each week, and, and it's a lot more uh, on a quarterly, monthly basis. Okay, quarterly. quarterly, sit down and get away from the office and, and kind of go through how did the quarter go uh, strategically what do we do well what do we learn from it what are the new goals we have for this quarter uh, certainly and then once a year I'd say a full year you know full day rather doing an annual assessment and then taking that you know, three-year look out too Craig three years is an eternity in business these days <laughs> three what does three years look like for a five million dollar company I mean can can he or she tell uh, really what's going to look like with all the unknowns well I think what if you look at what the forecasted 
trends are, right, in, in, in your industry, and you look at technology, the way technology is changing, uh, and, and you look at um, maybe even a year and a half mm -hmm. and then two and three year increments, and what the trends are happening now, what would be the next iteration that you can do that? I mean, good friends of you and I, Legion AVS here, we yeah. had a great session with those young guys. They did a terrific job looking at technology and how is that going to, how is it going to impact our business and how can mm -hmm. we differentiate our business and create a really compelling, exciting vision for the future that new employees would love to work with us and help us go get. Well, I love hearing the ambitions. You know, we do these Hanging with Haney's. You and I were talking about this earlier. Hanging with Haney's, we meet here in these small groups inside my office, and we share uh, our ridiculously big dreams, and we talk about where we want to be, who we want to be when we grow up. And it's not uncommon to hear people who want to have companies that are, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, right? They mm -hmm. they're maybe have revenue of 250000 now, <laughs> but the goal is to get to $100 million in 10 years. And so you look at all the obstacles that are in the way. One of the, I mean, there's a ton. It's like, where do I begin? So sometimes working backwards from the goal is important. But when I see a company uh, or I hear a story like that where the, the person really has these uh, very lofty goals, you know, I hear finance is uh, being one of the things that uh, I – or not I hear. I am witness to finance being – a major problem. If you are not extremely profitable, it is very difficult to take a company from 250 to 200 million mm -hmm. in 10 years. I mean, it's it's 250. Uh, you know, getting 200 million. I built a 200 million dollar company. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. And so, I, as I hear these stories, it makes me think. Well, um, are they forecasting? Uh, for the ability to uh, get financing. And I, I, I wonder, is that where you come into, is to help them yeah. understand how to get financing? Yeah, so we look at this, is, is this a moonshot? Yeah. Or is this a, a goal that will scare us a little bit, but we got a 70% you know, chance we think we're going to hit it. So yeah. it really should more that than the other. Uh, but either way, I ask them, what has to be true? So let's take, take that. We're going to go from a $200,000 company to, say, $100 million or $200 million. Okay. What has to be true for that to happen? So we start listing them out, and then... By looking at that, we can kind of recalibrate that. Well, maybe it's not, you know, a billion dollars. Maybe it's mm -hmm. you know five hundred million or right. two hundred million. Because we start to look at what has to be true, and it ends up being a, you know, fairly daunting list. And then yes, absolutely, financing comes in there. What stage will that will happen? And then we kind of look at, you know, ticking back, you know, th year five, three, two, and one. What are those big chess moves we have to to make okay. to to make this a reality, right? And right. Then start plugging them into our because um, those you know, chess moves might world. mean we have to acquire people, and if we're going to acquire be. people, yeah. we may have to bring in strategic partners to help what us. What competencies uh, get do that? we need to get there? Okay, what do we? What is our top tier skills today? What's it going to take to be a two hundred million dollar company? Is it going to require skill sets we don't even have today? How do we? How do we do that? Is it mm -hmm. businesses we have to acquire that are synergistic to us? So we, we look at all of that, and I don't want to discourage them at all. You know, it's not that I mean, do you sometimes or does it feel like you're throwing cold water on them? Because I mean, realistically, look, it's so this guy that says he's two hundred fifty thousand now and wants to get to two hundred million. We both know that that's possible, but it's also sure. um, he's going to have to make a lot well, of the right decisions. When we look at what has to be true, then that starts to get some dose of realism mm -hmm. in it. But I always want to stretch them really far, and I don't want to quash their dreams. We have to look at it and say. Geez, do we think that's you know in, in a realm of doable? You know, mm -hmm. first of all, or is that a moonshot? Uh, if it's in a realm of doable, then okay, let's work backwards of, of how we get there. What if it's a moonshot? What if he's a moonshot guy? Is that 
is so we know that moonshots occasionally uh, get there. So how do you know how to deal with that uh, eccentric founder, that crazy well, guy? I, I think when we talk through, you know, what has to be true and and. We're not. When you say what has to be yes. true, I'm trying to like understand what that means. Yeah, what so has to it's, be true? What are the what are the things that have to go right for us? Okay. Right? What what do we need to build? You know, do we need to build you know X customers that look like this in the first three years? Okay. Do we need to bolt on uh, new product lines that that account for forty percent of this? Do we need to make an acquisition that accounts for another forty percent right. of this? So we start kind of working through that, and you know, a fair number of times ago, yeah, I think yeah. Yeah. I mean, we I always say, I kind of have we that. Can make that happen. Yeah, yeah. back in, behind me, it says, yes, if. Uh, if you overcome enough of the obstacles, mm-hmm. anything is possible. I mean, I like to live by that because I've actually seen it happen too many times. I've seen it not happen a heck of a lot more than I've seen it happen, but we know that it happens. And those are like, those are the, uh, the stories that are, the legends are made of. And so you hate to, hate to quash somebody's, uh, you know, enormously big yeah. dream. So, no, but we have yeah. that discussion, and I think we, we can make that a pretty yeah. good determination from there. And you're right. Yeah. Sometimes it's it's it's, it's a billion dollars. Yeah, it's, it's in the sites. So let's okay. do it. Okay, I love it. Um, so thinking about this, so I'm going to put uh, sort of the different spin on this a little bit because one of the things, you start forecasting out three years, what are the chances of a recession occurring in the next three years? Some people will say it's going to happen tomorrow. Some people will say, well, for sure when the election happens in 2020. Mm-hmm. We know it will happen eventually, so... How and when do you prepare for the eventuality of a recession? Well, last year is probably <laughs> a good yeah. time. Start last year. Yeah. <laughs> it's too, not too late now. <laughs> All, you think pundits are saying 2021-ish, yeah. right? Um, so I, I think the, the idea is to uh, differentiate your business now and invest in that differentiation now. Right, a lot of people prepare for recession and companies rather by pulling back. Mm-hmm. I'm going to cut people, cut back, and cut spending. And yes, you could look at cut non-essential spending, but take that money and put it in an investment kitty to invest in differentiation, okay. building on your core companies and strength, because you want to then grow through the recession because you have differentiated your business clearly. You change the way the game is played, change the rules of the game, and then you can slingshot out the other side when investment dollars come back and buying mm-hmm. whatever it is that you're doing uh, in a big way. I like that concept. I, I call it wildfire or war chest. So you either uh, put money on the wildfire during some period of time. So for for us, I remember back to one of my companies, we, we added stores, right? We added, uh, and we added people, yeah. and these are fixed costs. So you go through a period of time where you're adding and throwing fuel on the fire, and you grow, grow, grow. And then at some point, the recession is looming, and you decide to uh, trim back a little bit and basically take that savings and put it toward investment instead of, um, and I'll call that the war chest, investment, whether it be in cash, paying down debt, mm-hmm. invest into technology that streamline, streamlines processes. But it seems to me that I saw a lot of people before the last recession sort of go, hmm, I think a recession is coming, and they weren't able to cut fast enough to reinvest fast enough to pay down debt fast enough to really strengthen their balance sheet yeah they yeah yeah, the uh if you hunker down um that that sometimes make yeah hunkering down makes sense but if you don't cut with some kind of uh action violence of action is what i call it then 
the music may stop before yeah. you uh, are ready to uh, get, find a chair. So I'll tell you a story. 2008. So we had sold Eskimo Pie. I went to the West Coast with Dryers, Nestle Dryers. Was head of their food service division. 2008, you know, it's the start of the I recession. I remember uh, 2008 well. <laughs> and so I'm in food service dessert business. And what do you think the first item people cut when they go out to eat is? Don't tell me dessert. they cut ice they cut cream. cut ice cream oh, out. God. Dang. That's, so. a, that's a staple. I mean, that's not a luxury item. That's a, uh, that's a uh, you know, a necessity. So, so without even starting anywhere, we are at a deficit, right? Uh, same store sales, same customers are declining by 5%. Right. So, but we, again, the, the idea is to look out further. We looked mm-hmm. out further what the um, national restaurant trends were going to be and how after recession things might change in this world and they were spot on. They were basically saying that consumers are, are going to eat out less after recession, during the recession, after recession, but they're going to expect tremendous value for when they eat out. For instance, and that's the, the really spawn of that fast casual movement happened, mm-hmm. that the gourmet burger or the chipotles really started right ahead of the recession. So what we did we realized that, and we pivoted to invest in small gourmet burger chains and help them develop ice cream and, and uh, like milkshake programs. We treated them like they were McDonald's or Burger King, gave them R&D support, mm-hmm. operations support, showed them how to do it. And that was when Smashburger was like 10 units, and they're now like a $20 million customer. So we sold 45 or 50 of these commercial regional chains, and we grew our business during the recession when all the other divisions and Nestle dryers were hunkered down, we were growing, and then we, you know, we won. I think the the, the uh, champions award for fastest growing division two years in a row during the recession, and then really slingshot after the recession forward because we had built that differentiation. And then when when rest when they really started expanding fast casual market, you know, Smashburger went from 30 units to like 200, 300. Guess who was their mm-hmm. was their supplier? You know, yeah. we were, and we would we were with them from the beginning. And that's just an idea, an example of investing in differentiation and thinking forward about how the life's going to change, now the the business is going to change, and taking advantage of that now. Interesting to to think about uh, the economy changing rapidly. In 2008, I mean, it it, it changed. It, 2007, we could smell it. It was on the horizon. Uh, 2008, obviously, Lehman Brothers files bankruptcy, and from there, the world stopped mm. for, I mean, many industries, the housing market uh, you know, it, it went down to zero um, and construction and so on. I mean, if you were to like put your crystal ball out there, I mean, wh- who do you think is going to get it the worst uh, or the first if we start to have a slowdown or, uh, you know, because right now we're hearing trade, uh, you know, tariffs and trade is causing volatility in the markets. I mean, but what do you envision? Well, so uh, typically in the past, you would think construction would bear the brunt of it in 2008, although I know our backlog in greater Sacramento is huge. There's such a shortage of uh, workers. Yeah. I've got a construction company that are killing it. Projects are piled yeah. on it's top like of another. I, even if we had in a recession, I think we would stay busy. So I, I would say I would change it, change it a little bit. Those that are going to feel it worse are those that aren't prepared and are mm. just going to hunker down without differentiating, investing in, in their differentiation, and are just trying to, to hang on. And then when the recession's over, they're kind of starting at that little engine that could versus their brethren at just goes crazy. Remember the story Terry Joslin when he was in yes. there? He did that as IT company. He didn't cut back 
in 2008. He invested in some other products and services, and he just slingshot right out of that recession. It's interesting. Forward, doubled his business. I've been thinking, so he had an IT services company, mm-hmm. right? So I've been thinking that um, this whole outsourced movement, you see it in co-working spaces where people aren't renting uh, as many, the big high rise, they're they're going into a co-working space. They're working in smaller spaces that are um, maybe, they may be less prestigious at some front, but you're, you're in co-working around other people. We have an outsourced accounting company, so so we're helping people, you know, hey, you don't necessarily need to have uh, a CFO on staff if you have somebody like Haney Biz. Um, you see it in IT. You see it in, in a lot of these areas. Um, I'm thinking that that's an area. I'm sort of betting that that's going to be an area that sort of survives mm. the, uh, the next downturn is this whole outsourced movement. Oh, absolutely. You know, HR, especially mm-hmm. too. HR, I don't have bet. an HR manager. Because of the fact that uh, they're still going to need those services and the fact that they don't have to pay for a headcount, for instance, and I don't have to hire for that headcount, I could put in somebody, you know, for X dollars that, that is experienced CPA as a CFO for hire. And it would cost me you know, four times that for me to hire that position. And they're adding value at a high level in your company. Well, and that's one of the things that I would say if I'm looking, you know, a lot of times I'm looking at someone's financials when I'm, when I'm looking at how to advise them. And if I see fixed costs that are inflated, you know, these big time fixed costs, and you start thinking about preparing for a recession, it's time to start moving into more variable costs because if you are outsourcing your IT and revenue goes down or your uh, number of users of your IT go down, you know, you're the price that you're paying your outsourced IT provider is going to go down. So these mm-hmm. become more variable costs. And right. so it's beginning to use outsourcing today, um, outsourced HR today, might be a good preparation for the next recession. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, and a lot of companies are, are seeing through that and, and are doing that ahead of time for sure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I could do in accounting, what you do in marketing, mm-hmm. huge uh, benefits to the companies. And, again, getting them to – you know, look at it from a smart standpoint and, and how am I making my dollars, uh, invested dollars and in, uh, capital work well for me, but also how do I differentiate, you know, with the marketing that you have yeah. at, at Haney and, and so forth. So people ever ask you how much leverage they had to put on a company? Uh, we don't get into a lot of that. Okay. But because it makes you yeah. wonder, you start thinking about a recession coming and you, uh, you, uh, you owe the bank, um, let's call five times the amount that you make every year. So you're making a million bucks a year and you owe the bank uh, five million bucks on your line of credit. Is that, is that healthy mm-hmm. going into a recession? Yeah, I think you, you, you want to lower your line of credit usage. You want to lower your debt usage, but it also depends what debt's for. What is the ROI projected? What, mm-hmm. are you, what are you acquiring debt for? What are you using that debt capital for? Is it to grow your differentiation? You feel that's going to take you from 5 million to 20 million and, your return on that should be pretty high, or are you doing that to hire, usually I credit to hire people and, mm-hmm. and bring these people on? But again, what are those people doing for you? What's the ROI in that versus doing outsourced and so forth? Yeah, yeah. Interesting thoughts. So uh, thinking about growing entrepreneurs, right? We're talking about the CEOs of the company and helping their development. I know this planning process and strategic thinking is important, but a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we touched on this a little bit, we have a lot of growth to do as mm. well. We aren't necessarily, there's no training that we got to mm. how to deal with the stresses and strains of being an entrepreneur. You jump in and it is 10 times tougher than, mm-hmm. than we imagine it would be. And we discover the weaknesses that we have. I mean, 
how do you um, get entrepreneurs to, to unleash their full potential or maybe to find their full potential? Well, it, and it's the whole person too, right? So it's on a personal side. Mm-hmm. You know, first thing I look at, are they taking care of themselves personally? Ah. And, and uh, ever, uh, uh, there's a, uh, some great books out there that, that have you look at that. Uh, Your Oxygen Max First by Kevin Lawrence. Okay. Yeah. You got to take care of yourself first before you can help others. I think that's very true. And a lot of times business owners aren't doing that. And if they're not taking care of themselves, they don't have the energy. And, and when you say taking care people. of yourself, you're talking about stuff like working out, um, home life is solid, you're sleeping enough, um, you're drinking uh, less. Mind, body, and yeah. spirit, okay, all yeah. of it, right? So it's working out. Are you taking care of your head there? Are you? Yeah. What are you doing for that? What are you doing for your spirit? What lights your spirit up? And, and what do you do in your spare time that will like make you smile, laugh, and have a good time too? So you need all of that, I think. And then on the professional side, a lot of what I work on is, is interpersonal skills because they've never, most businesses have never been trained on that. You know, how do I have the right conversations with my team? And how do we have the right conversations in our company that gets people to open up and, and to contribute in, in a high level? Uh, we'll uh, hold them accountable, yet, right. you know, teach them and, and get them to grow. Because I think coaching skills can be far more important than anything else. So if I'm spending time, in small moments, coaching my team instead of telling them what to do. Uh, I, again, I'm going to grow leaders. They're going to be more productive. And, and I can then focus on what I need to be do as a visionary, integrator, whatever that is, to really further the company ahead instead of having to do th- everything myself. Or Interesting, because you, know. you think about somebody who comes from mid-management at Intel or mm-hmm. maybe um, you know somebody who sort of just worked their way up, right? There's no formal tr- – you know, in Intel, you're going to get some formal training, sure. but it's not the same training being mid-management as it is being the CEO of a $10 million company. Right. It's different. You're mm-hmm. – you know, you're, there's less people, um, you know, putting, telling, helping you do this. It, it all comes down to you. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering how to get them there. I mean, so the interpersonal skills, it, goes, it's, it does something, but yeah. is that enough? Well, I, I think that's, you know, part of it. And then, of course, you know, business acumen and financial acumen and, and all that is important in how to build strategy. And so... You know, all those tools to give them those tool sets, too, as well, outside of just the, the interpersonal skills, too. Yeah. So biggest mistakes that you see CEOs making? I mean, what do you what do you see out there that's like you just like it's common? This one happens all the time. A um, couple things. Chasing shiny objects. You got to I always say build a city. Build a skyscraper, not a city. No, I've heard I call that shiny deep. object uh, syndrome <laughs> yeah. myself. I see. I have. I have it actually. So. Go narrow, go deep. Own it. You know. Yeah. Can we do this really well? Does it fit our business model? So I keep coming back to that. And yeah. certainly we can add on and 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 build. But sometimes when it's like way off track, we, yeah. we try to. To, to keep them on, One of the, on the things rails. that we did with me is we, and I, I guess I, I made, I self-corrected. At first I brought in the right person to sort of get, help me mm-hmm. as a, um, as some, a good sounding board. And then we tried to think of this as one thing, right? I'm invested into what, 30 something companies. We've got marketing, we've got accounting, I've got a radio show, I got a podcast, I got a fund. It's like all these cool ideas that I come up with now. We've decided, and I guess I decided this, I want to think of it 
is one thing. And I read this book called the essential, I think it's called essentialism. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like the, uh, the pursuit of less. It's kind of like the opposite of, uh, the 10 X rule where it's like, do as much as you can, which I do believe in, but how do you do as much as you can on one thing? And we decided to think of this as a platform, right? A platform that helps entrepreneurs be entrepreneurs and, you know, providing capital, uh, expertise and, uh, obviously a community. So as I think of this as one thing, it's not so, it's like if I have a, a new shiny object that I want to do, get into, it's like, does it fit into In the platform? The platform? Yeah. And that's yeah. how I've dealt with it. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of wondering, like, how do people put constraints on themselves? To me, I was, I have to, you know, I have to get help <laughs> so in doing that. I look at, uh, does it, does it fit our core purpose, for instance? Okay. Does it fit what we believe does it fit our top tier skill? What do we do exceptionally well? Does it fit our business model? Do we have the competency to do it? Those are the first three things we, four things we ask about. Yeah. If yes, 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 then do it. If no, it's like way out here, then we got to think what's the strategic reason for doing that? Can we bring the competency in? And once we do bring it in, will these two play nice together or are they just way too different? Yeah. And we're going to dilute resources and we're not going to build both. What about one person that has, is sort of split in their their role where they're managing two different divisions and the leadership underneath them is not strong enough? Um, is it time you need to consolidate those two? I mean, I kind of th- I see that sometimes where whereby um, we don't put somebody in charge. It just sort of rolls up to the general management and there's nobody in charge of a of a of a key initiative. Uh, you're talking about two different divisions? Two, it could be company. a different division or, hey, some new thing we're going to do and uh, who's going to roll it, roll into it and, and somebody right. at a lower level ends up sort of getting the ball started but the, their management is not that excited about it and so it just sort of flounders because there's not enough oomph behind it. Gotcha. Well, again, we look to make sure that that is an important priority and it can really add to the you know, growth of the company and, and to what, where we're heading as in, in from our vision standpoint. Uh, and then we just look at what, what should be, who should be the best person in that role and how do we support that person and set them up for success. We can't set them up for success or can't set that, whatever that role is, whatever that uh, initiative is for success, we shouldn't do it. Yeah, I love it. So, so that. simple. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'm holding in my uh, hand here a 12-quarter build. <laughs> okay, so and it uh, starts with the current state, then you got the three- to five-year forecast, potential impacts, opportunities, and threats, and then this 12-quarter build. How often do you... Dude, is this like you? If I come to Craig Hetrick, I I get this. I'm going to like I I look at this. And I'm like my my company needs to do this. Uh, so, <laughs> so I need some help. Here's with this, what I do. So as you know, I'm an EOS implementer, and right. EOS is a great foundational program. I think entrepreneurial operating, operating system. system. Okay. So it's operating system strength in all areas of your business. But what it isn't as strong is in strategy. Okay. So what I see a lot of business owners, uh, CEOs, is they have a lot of the here and now in their objectives, quarterly objectives, yearly objectives. There's no uh, initiatives they have that really look out next year, year after, year after that. So I want to develop a process that continually got entrepreneurs and, and business owners to be thinking about how do I continually differentiate my business. And to do that, you have to have a process that helps you keep thinking out in terms of what those trends are and what are the opportunities going to be 
versus you know the trends and how do we take advantage of it so let's say we think in a year and a half from now there's xyz opportunity we rank those opportunities by impact and uniqueness okay and then we what are the milestones in that opportunity the big things have to happen to really launch it and what quarter should those be launched so there's a 12 quarter roadmap i put together so you put intentional when these milestones have to be achieved so you can launch this differentiated opportunity in a year and a half from now or two mm-hmm. years from now. But you got to be working on it now for these things to happen. They can't just magically True. happen. And if you try to make something happen in a month or two, you're usually not going to have a very good execution. Right. So it's an intentional way on a, on a yearly basis to keep looking out uh, on how do we differentiate our business based upon future trends, opportunities, and then leveraging those opportunities, working on them, you know, every quarter uh, of the year until you get there. So these planning things, obviously, we can read this kind of thing in a book, um, or we can get a get, go through a seminar. We can have you come out and coach us one time. But I think there's times when um, to stay accountable, it's helpful to have somebody from the outside, mm-hmm. like like someone like yourself, help us. Stay on track. It's so easy to commit, get all fired up and lathered up about an idea. Makes sense. You go to an offsite and everybody, you know, comes back fired up. And the next thing you know, um, Q1 is not even on track anymore. Right. And, you know, we're sitting there going, oh, no. Right? So, I mean, how often do you need – how often do we need to have someone like you in our lives? Is that, okay, weekly? Is that quarterly? Is that once a year? We usually work quarterly. Okay. With, with with my clients. And what I find is uh, they have best intentions. And these are really good operators, right? Really good executives, strong companies. But what they find is it's hard for them to drive that change. You got to learn, adopt, and master it. So that takes a little time. And, you know, business and life hits you in the eyes. And you, you got the next challenge or problem that comes your way. You kind of forget about the new thing you're adopting, right? So if right. you bring somebody like me in, I won't let you forget about the new thing you're adopting. I can work side by side with you so you learn, adopt, and master it. So it's like second nature. And you have to mm-hmm. think about it, right? That's what, where we want to get to. Otherwise, you might get to the 70% level. And you might say, if you weren't working with somebody, hey, this didn't never work. This, this yeah. process isn't very good. It's right? interesting to think about the ROI on st- stuff like this because I'm such a cheapskate. I'm like, well, I'll figure <laughs> it out myself and all that. And then three years go by and it's you're still kind of a cluster. And then so you think about like bringing someone like yourself in early. Sure, it costs a few grand and there's going to be upkeep and all that. But I mean, if you're a company that's five or ten million in sales uh, on your way to 50 – I mean, this could, in, in profit, this, this could pay back in yeah. profit in the first quarter. Quickly, yeah. quickly. And I think the big thing I see is that the peace of mind the business owner has. They all, all of a sudden realize that, that I'm not alone. You know, and I, I run peer groups and you're a peer group, and those are extremely helpful. But when you're trying to adopt an operating system, to have somebody working with you side by side to do it is very powerful and very mm-hmm. helpful. So I get that. Oh, I'm relieved. I, I could feel and see the progress now. I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. This is really starting to work for me. And, and they get that. And then when you start to build their leadership team around them, they go, wow, this was really game changing. And they don't think about cost anymore. They think about what's happening and that we're moving our company forward. I love that you're getting the team talking to one another. I'm one of these guys that believes in full transparency within mm-hmm. the team and communicate. There's no secrets. It's open the kimono. I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that don't feel that way. Right. You know, they're thinking about, hey, in five to seven years, we may want to sell the company. In five to seven years, or, or hey, here, we're making a lot of money. I don't 
even want to tell my employees I'm making a lot of money. There's all these things where we're, we get really secretive at times for different reasons. Um, are you a transparency guy or are there some Big things that time. need to be? Okay. Big time. So I get that all the time. I don't want to tell them. I don't want them to know. I say, yes, you want them to know. First of all, if they know, then they're going to make better decisions for you, especially your salespeople out there. If they know what your costs are and they know uh, where we're, tr we're trying to go and what things will drive costs, and if they're good employees, they, they fit your culture, they will do it well for you. Uh, and then just with people know where they're at, where you're going, and if you're vulnerable and with things aren't even you know going so well now, get it out on the table, and you'd be surprised what help they'll, they'll give you. I had a business owner just this week say, hey, we're kind of breaking even, and do I you know, come clean? He had to like have a kind of a salary restructure, and I said, no, come, show them your P&L. Show them everything. You come from your heart. Here's what's happening. Here's the reason to believe where we're going with the company, but we need to fix this piece now. What mm -hmm. are your ideas to help that? And it, 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 by the way, it kind of looked at their salary piece, and they said, yeah, we can adjust that because mm -hmm. we like this, right? And so he showed them a path forward how it would be better for them personally, professionally, monetarily. Wow. And all. But he was afraid to do that. I, I was going to say, that's got to be a fear really thing. it went really well because otherwise, if you don't, at some point, you're going to lose people yeah. and you're going to well, lose your company. Well, I'm thinking about the entrepreneur. It's got to be eating him or her alive to be sitting there going, look, I'm, I'm running it too close to the bone. Yeah. What if we did have the recession? I'm not ready for the health of this company. I've got to do something. Yes. I, I need to get their support. But yet it... It's a little bit, whether it be embarrassing or you're afraid they may not support you. So it's, it's being humble and transparent and being, uh, you know, definitely full transparency, but then also being confident on the other end, right? Mm. So it's okay to be, uh, geez, humble and here's my situation, but boy, here's where I, we can go. So you can't yeah. be like totally humble and <laughs> you know, transparent and, and look vulnerable. Yeah, to, don't be a victim you know, about it. Okay, right? we'll see you later. I yeah. don't think it's going to work, yeah. but, but you have to, again, that's that art and science of interpersonal skills. Yeah, so. the right amount of confidence and we mm -hmm. can do this, And um, but here's the, uh, the brutal facts as we know them. But you know, we worked on what is that vision? What is that compelling vision for the future? Yeah. So you have to have that first. You can't yeah. do that and say, well, I don't know what our future is, but, but will you work with me on that? Mm -hmm. But you get all that in line first. It looks believable, looks compelling. People are excited about it. They're in the boat with you all of a sudden, right? And they mm -hmm. appreciate the fact that you laid the cards on the table because one of the things that employees in any company is that you're holding back on me. You must be making this is a million dollar company. You must be making a million dollars. Like, no, we're not making a million dollars. What about exit strategies? I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. They have zero exit strategy. Is that a, mm. is that a mistake? Um, well, if they want to keep running the business uh, for a number of years, but I think there has to be some sort of thinking around that. Most in, in that I work with have it. You know, 10 years, I want to be on a beach or, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. or I want to scale this company and sell it or I want to take a company public. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's some people that want to hand it off to their, to their children to as their well. Children, yeah. So you got, you got to get them ready. Oh, and that's, that's a big thing I work on because it's not always a good idea, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've got kids, man. Uh, <laughs> I've seen some yeah. where it's, uh, you, you really have to have that open and honest conversation. Yes. And, and, and uh, I did, uh, one business owner told me what they like them to do is, is their kids have to go work 
in another company for a couple mm-hmm. years before they can come yeah. work in our company. Well, your son's yeah. becoming an entrepreneur, I, I've yeah, noticed. Yeah, he is. Yeah, Very so, proud of him. So he's getting his, uh, getting his chops in before he, are either your kids going to take over uh, the Hattrick group at some point? I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. 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 If uh, they're ready, right? If they're ready, if right? They're and maybe ready. they grow their own thing, and that's great. I'll be there cheering them on. and. Yeah. Board member, whatever it takes yeah. to help them succeed. And my kids are doing the same thing. They're off doing their own thing now. I'm proud of them. Um, I don't know if, who know. I've got some good people inside our company that, um, some great up and comers. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're building a, a leadership team here that I'm really proud of. So hopefully somebody takes it over for me. They pretty much run the thing right now. Succession for me anyway. plans. Yeah. Sure. yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so uh, just closing thoughts. Yeah, I mean, this has been a great conversation. It's always fun to talk to you and sort of um, re-energize myself around the, the operations of a business. But closing thoughts for the entrepreneur out there that's um, going go to um, go to work tomorrow and go, okay, I better start working on my business. Closing thoughts to that entrepreneur. Yeah, just, just take stock with where you're at today um, and, and think about you know, where are some of the areas of my business that aren't as strong or aren't developed at all and, and take inventory of that. And, and start working on it. You know, mm-hmm. if you come to somebody like myself or, or someone else that can help you get there, but don't be afraid to reach out, whether it's in peer groups like EO, great, great organization. Don't be going out alone and yeah. don't think you can just do this all by yourself and that's what you have to do. It's okay to reach out, be vulnerable and get that help because yeah. you're going to you know, 10X that investment yeah. in whatever that is you're doing to, to get yourself some assistance. Yeah, I appreciate that, Craig. And come... Come to a hang-in with Haney. We have these small groups here that are uh, not too dissimilar from EO, which is the Entrepreneurs Organization, although they're, uh, it's, it's, they're more ad hoc. But, I mean, if you want to get plugged into mm-hmm. our resources, you want to get plugged in uh, to know Craig or something like that, come to a hang-in with Haney, and I'll, I'll definitely uh, get you the connection, or I'll get you connected up to EO, but uh, reach out to me directly, too, and we'll make sure we, uh, we get you working in the right direction. So thanks a lot, Craig. I really appreciate everything. Thank you, Mark. You bet.